The American Association season is almost done, and we're here to talk about everything in that league and much more here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, back again, episode number 78 here on the Indie Ball Report podcast, and we got uh, we got a decent little bit to talk about. We got some Atlantic League news later on, I guess a little bit of news on uh, some other things like the like the affiliated Meyer Leagues, got some news on that. We may get there, depending on time-wise, and of course, we have a lot of American Association talk. We ended the final week of their season here. We'll just kind of jump right into it headlong. And uh, there are some interesting storylines coming out of this week in that league. Fargo coming back into the mix here. We got St. Paul that's teetering off. We got kind of a tale of two cities in uh, Milwaukee and uh, Winnipeg. And then, of course, we got Sioux Falls, which has positioned themselves rather nicely to this point. So I guess starting with Fargo Moorhead's a a good place to kind of jump in here as they had an eight-game winning streak. Technically, they're in fourth place, although it's really a tie for third at 26 and 28, nine and one over their last 10, two and a half out of a playoff spot, and uh, they have three games versus Milwaukee and three games versus St. Paul left to make the postseason yeah. on. So, yeah, Fargo Moorhead is absolutely white hot. Like, like the, the, there's no other way to put it, and the, they've really thrown themselves right back into the race. I mean, is it still a long shot? Yeah, it's it's still it's still probably a long shot for them to get in, but it's it's definitely a good sign for them that that, that they really didn't give up on the season when they were in last place, and uh, everybody, including us, was kind of banging on them. But uh, I got to tell you, they absolutely like crushed the ball this week. I mean, pitching uh, um, and offense, it all came together. I mean, Leo Baldo Pena, who just had a ridiculous week, hitting four forty with a 1,300 OPS and three home runs. I mean, Fargo-Moorhead as a team hit 342 for an entire week, which, which is just absurd. And, and on the pitching side of it, you have, you, you have a ton of guys who are terrific, specifically on the starting pitching side. Uh, I mean, look no further than John Anderson, uh, the, for, the former Lancaster Barnstormer, who had, who had a terrific start this week, going seven and a third innings, giving up only one earned run. Um, you have Hagens as well, had two very good starts. Matt Tomshaw being, as good, being the, the, the ace he's been pretty much the entire season, throwing a complete game this week. I mean, just across the board, what, what an awesome, awesome week for Fargo-Moorhead. And, whether, and even if they don't get into the playoffs, they definitely have something to hang their hat on. The fans definitely have something to be proud of for this team, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you want to look at the, the rest of the rotation there in Pike and McGovern, they didn't have as good of a week, but it wasn't like there was two terrible starts out of them. They each went roughly five innings, a little bit more than that, and each had three earned runs. Now, granted, the ERA is going to be a bit higher there, and I will say Pike did get hit fairly well, but even still, McGovern didn't look terrible, despite what the ERA may say, and like you said, they're a team that really had everything working together this week. Pena also had a grand slam, I believe it was Monday, too, so that's another thing to to put in the hat there. And I mean, when you have seven guys that are batting just off the charts here, 300, and then as a batting average with an on base of 350, I mean, it's just a whole solid thing there. And let's not forget, Dylan Kelly was batting 500. 
Like that is yeah. so, that's incredible in of itself there that he was doing just that incredibly well. So uh, that you got to give him that. Plus Christian Abar was also doing very well too. I mean, there's a whole slew of guys. I mean, Sam Dexter too. Really, there wasn't a weak link in the lineup here. And it really mm-hmm. makes you wonder if they could have been doing this all season long, how good could they have been, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's like a tease. Exactly. It really is. Like you, and the thing is, too, in the first week of the season, the first couple of weeks, we saw bits and pieces of this. It wasn't mm. like they were always like down in, down in the doldrums. We've seen aspects of it where they looked really good. They looked borderline elite at times, but they just couldn't get it all together. The pitching wouldn't be there when the bats would be there. The bats wouldn't be there when the pitching was there. And it's you know, in a way, you almost feel bad for them because they put together this run. And clearly they're showing the seven they won in a row against Winnipeg wasn't a fluke. And they've certainly held their own against Sioux Falls. They have three games against Milwaukee starting tonight. And then they have three against uh, St. Paul to finish the year. So it's not exactly the easiest slate here. But you do wonder what they need to do in order to get into that postseason. Obviously Sioux Falls that we're going to talk about in just a minute is got they got a sizable lead. They got a two and a half game lead on the rest of the pack really with the only team really being out of it being Chicago, and that so happens to be the team that Sioux Falls is going to wind up playing for seven games to finish the season. So, I'm not like you said, I'm not sure they're going to be able to make it in. They definitely have positives to take it out, them being the Red Hawks here. So, it's they could definitely get the 500, which I think would be a huge accomplishment considering where they were halfway through August. But I do wonder what it's going to take for them to make the postseason. And honestly, yeah, I almost I, feel I, like they need to win out in order to have a legitimate shot at it. Yeah, you, they definitely have to go five and one. You got to go five and one to give yourself a chance. And it's so hard. It, it's so hard to ask them to go five and one right after they won like nine of their last ten. So I, it's definitely a tough ask. But at the end of the day, that's kind of the that's kind of the place they put themselves in. But um, it, you're you're right when you say you kind of you kind of wonder. Uh, what what this team could have been if they if they had kind of put it together from the start, or even maybe not maybe not even completely from the start. Maybe maybe like a couple weeks earlier, we could be having a very different conversation about Fargo Moorhead. And I think a, a lot of it has to do uh, with them losing a lot of close games. They're losing a lot of close games to Winnipeg specifically early in the year, and then it's really kind of hurt them. Now in the standings, when you see um, they, they are still two and a half games back of that playoff spot. But I mean, it's tough because you want to look, you, you you want to praise them, but then it's like, oh, they could have they could have been so good if they if they were if they were on the other side of of these close games early in the year, and and obviously you, they, they, a lot of the uh, their bullpen looks a little bit different now. They're bringing in bringing in some new guys that uh, that that have helped them along the way, specifically even in the starting rotation when they added John Anderson mid year. That's really helped them. So I, I think I think it really comes comes down to them not being able to finish those close games early in the year and uh, it's coming back to bite them now but I mean there's there's still a chance although it's small they but in order to, in order to 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 um, actually legitimately have a chance to get that number two spot they pro- they probably got to go five and one which if they win 14 of, of their last 16 games to get in the playoffs what an incredible story that would be oh it absolutely would be but then Really, part of their problem, too, is just the schedule everybody else has. I mean, even if you say Chicago does a really good job and they win, like, let's say, five of seven from Sioux Falls, that's great. But then you still have Winnipeg and St. Paul that are playing each other. And you still do have 
have some other matchups there that are going to cause problems, and you can only control so much of it. Plus, having Milwaukee to start off your week is not going to be great uh, in and of itself there, especially because you're going to Milwaukee, a team that, I mean, if they can just take two or three from Fargo-Moorhead, you knock Fargo-Moorhead out of the hunt, really. And I believe that would be enough to clinch first place in the league this year, and that yeah. would give them home field advantage throughout the postseason, which is really just one round, but even still, that'd be a huge gain there. And uh, I will just say one more thing on Milwaukee, because I don't think uh, we are going to spend too much time with them. Peyton Gray is approaching 30 consecutive shutout innings, and I just really want to make note of that and how amazing he has been this year, because in Sign 29 the innings... Man. 29 innings, 9 hits. There's a very legitimate chance he's going to allow fewer than 20 base runners this year. So let me ask you let me ask you this, Nick. Yeah. Would you consider even though he is a reliever, he's a closer. Do you think Peyton Gray I, I, and I do, at this point, do you think he has a, a an argument to be American Association pitcher of the year? I think he has an argument, but I don't think I let me put it to you like this. Next week when we wind up, when we do our awards and our all-star game and all of that, when we pick basically the, the end of the season awards and things like that, he's probably going to, yeah. and he almost certainly is going to be my reliever of the year. There's no of argument course. about that. I mean, you won't. Yeah. Like, I want to, in a sense, give it to Campion just because of the record setting he did this year. But that would just be a career achievement thing. Peyton Gray's been the most dominant reliever in the league this year, and there's no real argument against that. And yeah, it's, I, it's an interesting argument to have. It, it really is, is, but at the same time, it's like you can only – he still has only pitched 29 innings. Even if he pitches one more inning in every game this year, then he's only at 35 innings. And while 35 shutout innings is very impressive, and if he finished with under 15 hits allowed and under, let's say, 25 base runners allowed in 35 innings, that's extremely impressive. At the same time, though, there's been some starters that have been legitimately elite, and mm. I, I just have a hard time giving a relief for that award or that honor over a starter that's pitched, you know, closer to almost 90 innings or so. I, I just have a very hard time doing that. If it wasn't for guys like Holmberg or Devine, I would be a lot more receptive to it if, let's say, your best ERA was like, 350 among starters and there really wasn't any sort of eye-popping numbers but there's just a lot of quality starters i would probably go with an elite reliever over a quality starter but just you look like we're about to talk about st paul and we're going to talk about the start mike divine had this past week huh. and i mean i see a guy do that it's not like it's the first time he's done something like that either i have a hard time saying nah he's not pitcher of the year when the guy that's only throwing 35 innings has yeah you know? I, I see i see what you're i see i definitely see what you're saying it's just it, part of me thinks that going an entire season like I, of course it's it's a it's a sixty game season, yeah. but to go an entire season without allowing a run is so it's so unheard of and so ridiculous that I I've truly never seen uh, anything like it. And in, I mean, in a normal year, he would have been picked up. I think it's oh I absolutely think you, you have you have to assume in a normal year he would have been picked up, uh, put on put on a double A team, triple A team, whatever. Uh, but you're right. Cause it's just hard for me. Cause I don't want to just, I think he's, he's almost earned more than just the reliever of the year, but you're right in the sense that it's hard to justify giving him pitcher of the year 
when he's thrown a third of the innings. So it, it, it's hard, and it, it, it's it's an interesting argument. And we'll, I guess we'll save most of that for next week after we see how some guys uh, finish the season this week. But I, I just wanted to bring that up. I thought it, I thought it was an interesting, uh, potential oh, interesting oh, conversation. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I kind of put it like this. He deserves to be a finalist for Pitcher of the Year, but I'm not sure if he deserves to win it. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, it's... I'll put it like this. If he winds up winning it, I'm not upset about it. It's just he wouldn't be my pick. And that's nothing against him. It's just the fact he's a reliever. And there's not much you can do about it. But, you know, it's right. It's just hard because, I mean, like, Braden Hankins and John Anderson combined for 28 and, and two-thirds innings this week. That's between two guys in one week. So, I mean, mm. it, I know it's, it's hard. But... Uh, any case, going to St. Paul, they have a similar record to Fargo-Moorhead in that it's identical. 26 and 28, they're technically in fifth, but it is a tie for third. And they were 3 and 7 on the week, so a really rough week. They are also two and a half games out of a playoff spot, five out of the first place spot, which seems to be a little out of reach at this stage. They got swept by Sioux Falls, and they lost 2 or 3 to Milwaukee, and they may have signed their own death warrant at this point, as they have 3 versus Winnipeg and 3 versus Fargo-Moorhead, and uh, really, I was looking through everything. The pitching seemed alright this week, but it was the bats that really just kind of dried up. Uh, yeah. There, there really wasn't, it wasn't so much that they weren't getting on base, it's just that they weren't really scoring. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I, like, there was 3 guys I know that were of some substance this week at the plate, and that's Mikey Reynolds, Chris Chenea, and Nate Sampson. Each of those three, they were pretty good at the plate this week. Mikey Reynolds in particular, he was batting just just a little over 450, and he was he was slugging a bit, he was getting on base, and he hit three home runs. So he, was, he scored nine runs too, so he had a very good week. But at the end of the day, still, you need more than three guys hitting, and at this point in the year, getting swept is not acceptable, and when you're in the position they were in, Losing two of three, even to the first place team, just isn't gonna. It's not gonna help you. And by losing three in a row to Sioux Falls, not mm. only did you take destiny out of your own hands by giving them the tiebreaker, you also put yourself really behind the eight ball here because you're banking again heavily on Chicago to be able to score some real big wins against Sioux Falls. And as we've talked about Chicago in the past, they're not exactly living up to expectation this year. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they hit such a cold streak here. I know a couple of good starters this week, about three really good starts out of the St. Paul starters, and we're going to talk especially about Mike Devine in just a second here. And their bullpen did have some guys that really performed, and then other guys that weren't as good at performing this week. But I just, I'm on the verge of just writing St. Paul off. I don't think they have enough time to make up. I don't think their games work in their favor. Because, like I said, you have a really hot Fargo-Moorhead team you're going to end the season at. Granted, you played them at home, so that's a help to you. But even still, they're a hot team that's going to be in the same position as you, literally the same position as you, clawing for that final playoff spot. And you have Winnipeg, who's, again, in the same position as you, clawing for that final playoff spot. So they really don't have any sort of an easy game. Now, granted you do have a reeling Winnipeg team, and that does help you out a bit. But at the end of the day, they're still a good ball club, or at least they were for at least a solid six weeks, and they understand that their fate's in their own hands because they need to start winning games. So I'm not really uh, nearly as hot as I am on St. Paul as I was last week. Yeah, I think we talked about last week 
how um, if the uh, Sioux Falls and St. Paul game uh, series, excuse me, uh, that happened last weekend that we were talking that we were kind of previewing on the show. We said we kind of said a sweep either way uh, really, really would pretty much eliminate uh, the team that got swept. That's what happened. And I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair that we stick to that assessment. I think uh, and, and you talk about their offense. They haven't really had um, all, really all year. They their, their identity has not been power, and when that happen, and that's and that's totally fine. But the problem is, is when you only have like three guys who had a good week offensively, like you say, like you like you said, when they're not hitting for power, you're, you're it's it's tough to score a lot of runs. And uh, I think that's kind of what we saw in, in teams that don't hit that aren't as reliant on power are are uh, more susceptible to those cold streaks. And I think that's what we saw happen to St. Paul. And unfortunately for Saints fans, it, ha- it happened at, at the worst possible time and in the worst in their biggest series uh, of, of the season. But and, and also the on the pitching side of it, to me, I, I thought for the most part, I, th- I thought their starting pitching was pretty was pretty good outside outside of Zimmerman this week. Mm. I-, I think the the the, the St. Paul starting pitching was pretty good, uh, and out of, out of the bullpen, Jamison McGrain w- w- was good as as he usually is. And uh, out, but outside of him, though, the bullpen was uh, w- was pretty rough this week. And and I think I think that hurts you when you're not scoring when you're not scoring as many runs. So I think that's really what it came down to to St. Paul's. Their bats went cold. Uh, at, at the wrong time, unfortunately, they probably just cut, probably just put themselves at, out of the playoff hunt. I mean, that's that's pretty accurate to say. I mean, in addition to McCrane, Glowecki and Pobareko also look pretty good. The three of them combined for right. twelve and two thirds, one earned run, five total runs, uh, four right. walks, eight hits, and sixteen Ks in eight games. So, I mean, it's it's not like it was bad from them. It's, it's still. You can't just rely on three guys when you're not having the offense to really back up everything. And plus, even still, you can only ride three guys for so long. I will say Nick Belter, he looked pretty good in the two starts he had. Three earned runs for him. I believe he only allowed a little over uh, a dozen or so base runners. I know he had four walks. He struck out ten. He looked pretty good. Plus, his, the kind of, I don't want to say underlying numbers because they're right there. But it's a, his batting average against was only 158. And I mean that's it's not bad there either. And then Mike Devine also. I, I do want to mention his one start against Milwaukee. Uh, eight and a third innings, one run was not earned, one walk, eight Ks, and that was in a hundred and thirty-eight pitches. He earned the loss. Yeah, I mean if that doesn't sum up the week for St. Paul, I don't know what does. I mean, I, I saw all that, and I just feel so bad for Devine. Like. That was that was not only a gutsy performance; it was probably the most impressive pitching performance of the week, and makes a very strong case for pitching performance, really of the year. Because it's just I would, I would go that far, yeah. It, it was such a it was such a good effort, and it's all wasted. And like it's like an outing like that, almost in my mind goes, okay, I know who my pitcher of the year is going to be. Barring yeah, something, oh, bar, barring something amazing, I know who my guy is. At this point, I think it's really just a one-horse race, and I mean, it's he just looks so good this week, and I really do feel bad for him. And I, I feel bad for a handful of guys on St. Paul. 
um, namely, namely McGrain, Devine, and Mikey Reynolds, because those three have been consistent all year for the most part. And after, let's see, a week from the day, they're not going to be playing any more baseball this year unless they uh, find some other league to attach themselves to at the very end here. But, man, I just don't see any way they're going to get themselves here. I mean, they screwed themselves over in Sioux Falls when they got swept. If they could have at least taken one, they would have held a tiebreaker. And then you would have said, okay, they dropped four of their last six, but at least they hold a tiebreaker. And if they can take advantage of a reeling Winnipeg team, and if they put themselves in a position, maybe they can get to a point where they are tied with Sioux Falls and then they take another tiebreaker. But at this stage, I just, I don't see any way that's going to happen. I think it's at this point too little, too late. And I think you're pretty much uh, right on the mark when you said the bats went cold at the wrong time and that's going to do them in. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yep. And then talking about the team that is currently in second place with 28 and 25, we'll go to talk about Sioux Falls now. Six and four last week. They hold that final uh, playoff spot. They're two and a half games out of first place. So they do have a, a somewhat p- possible path, really, to take over first place. Although at this stage, I think they're probably going to stay in second. Uh, they took control of their own destiny when they swept the Saints, like we were just talking about. They stumbled a little bit with Fargo-Moorhead. They dropped two of three to them. Uh, but they do have, by far, the easiest schedule remaining with seven games for Chicago, three at home, four on the road. One of those on-the-road games is a doubleheader, though. And, uh, yeah, I, they seem pretty good this week, batting-wise. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think barring a, a, a pretty major, like a, a Winnipeg, a Winnipeg-type collapse, I think I, I think we know we know what our championship series is going to be um, in in some form or another. I, I think that of course that being Milwaukee and Sioux Falls, uh, Sioux Falls came up really big last weekend. And even though um, even though they struggled against Fargo Moorhead past series, I, I think they they put themselves uh, in a great in a great spot uh, specifically on the on the pitching end of things. Their bullpen what what was awesome this week, and it really really. Uh, pick pick them up. Tyler Danish had a really uh, really nice start as well as um, and t- Tyler uh, Tyler Heron had a uh, two nice starts. Uh, Tyler Heron, excuse me, had yeah. two nice starts this this weekend as well. Uh, this week as well. So the, the same way St. Paul went cold at the wrong time, Sioux Falls got hot at the right time, and they they pretty m- barring a like I said barring a Winnipeg type collapse that we we know who our championship series is. I mean, that's pretty spot on here. Plus, Keaton Steele got back into form here. I mean, I'm just looking at everything now. On base percentage against of just 91. So, I mean, like, that's pretty pretty good, .091. Uh, I mean, really, the whole bullpen was working on pace here. Grady Wood looked pretty good, too. Tyler Heron, like you said, he had a couple of good starts there, too. And he's one of those guys that when he first signed over there, I was like, I look at his career numbers. Uh, I think he's about at the end of the line here between age and what he's done in the past. And I got to say, he's had a little bit of a renaissance year. He's kind of resurgent in his performance this year so far. But overall, they, they seem like a pretty well-put-together team, although uh, newly acquired after a cup by St. Paul, Eddie Medina did have a rough start. I mean, he seems like he's, uh, he's maybe running out of chances in this league, but who knows there. And yeah, batting-wise, they look good. All around, they just look pretty solid this week. And I mean, like you said, this is probably going to be our championship game, barring some sort of miraculous comeback or collapse. do wonder, though, what it's going to take for them to take over first place. I kind of figure 5-2, and two, they have a real shot at it. 
But if they go four and three, I think they have really second place locked up. Yeah, I, I think I, I think second place. I think is definitely. Uh, I, I I'll go as far as saying all but certain at this point because I'm pretty confident in Milwaukee to, in Milwaukee to to take care of business this week or at least at least go 500 this week mm-hmm. and uh, and like if Milwaukee goes 500 this week they got it so oh, yeah. and, and I think I think they'll at least do that so I I'm, I'd, I'd be pretty confident in saying uh, Milwaukee the Milwaukee first place Saint Sioux Falls second place and that that's what we're looking at come next week. Yeah. Okay. And so we'll go to the really the last team we have to highlight this week, which is Winnipeg, who's technically the third third place team, although uh, like I said, there's a massive tie for that position. Twenty six, twenty eight, one and nine on the week, five out of first place, two and a half out of that last playoff spot. They had the season long record of eleven straight losses. That's the longest losing streak on the season. Uh, they came four shy of tying the American Association record for consecutive losses, and they were swept in consecutive series against Fargo-Moorhead. They dropped two of three against Chicago. Uh, they haven't really looked good. They got three against St. Paul. They got three against Milwaukee. It's not really an easy path for them to make the postseason anymore. Outside of their bullpen, there really isn't terribly much to take away this week from them. That's a positive. Uh, yeah. The starting pitching was just just abysmal. I mean, I, I got some of the stuff written down here, and just it gets worse as you go along. Seemingly every batter, actually, if you look at the batting average and like the on base percentage and slugging against their starters, they're very good if you're a batter. But guys like Mitch Lampson, 13 innings, 10 earned runs, ERA of seven. Uh, Compton, four and two thirds, six earned runs. Duncan, 10 and a third, 14 earned runs. Hilton, who got released, four and two thirds, 12 earned runs. Like, it just, it's terrible. I mean, actually, in Hilton's case, guys against were batting 500 off of him. The bullpen was just terrible. I will say, Grills did have a good start. Five innings, one earned run. So he was the lone bright spot of the rotation, but my God, it was just terrible there. Yeah, it's it's a collapse that... Um, it's, it's going to go down. Like people, people are going to remember it. I mean, it's, it was, it was brutal. I think you meant, I mean, we were so high on Frank Duncan earlier in the year and he really has, uh, I mean, there's no other way to say it. He's kind of, uh, really falling apart down the stretch as well as, uh, other starters, uh, like, like Brandon Compton and, and Mitchell Lampson who have great track records, both in indie ball uh, and and an affiliated ball in Brandon Brandon Compton's uh, in Brandon Compton's situation. So I mean, yeah, I mean the the Winnipeg bullpen was pretty good this week, but I think uh, I mean when you when you look at Frank Duncan's last start um, when they when they played Chicago uh, the other night, uh, excuse me, last night actually uh, his start uh, when 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 Winnipeg lost fourteen to eleven in in game one of their uh, their doubleheader, yeah. and they uh, I mean four and two thirds innings. 14 hits, 14 runs, only eight were earned, uh, four walks, seven strikeouts. I mean, yeesh. I, I don't really know how to say it other than yeesh. Yeah, it just, they seem to just fallen right off a cliff. Like, it's almost like they got to like the 45 game mark and then they just got like fatigued or something. And then they just, it, I don't know what happened. There's no way to really explain it. Like we've been saying, but. Anton, Jose, Lucas, and Hasler, they all had a good week out of the bullpen. 
Uh, they only yeah. allowed six base runners in total. No earned runs, actually no runs at all in 10 innings of work, struck out seven. They look good. But even guys like Victor Capion, they haven't even been doing that great either. He had two and two-thirds. He allowed five base runners, struck out one, one earned run. But guys were hitting him good. They were batting 333 against. So, I mean, like the pitching just kind of fell apart. I almost want to say the batting wasn't as big of an issue because those guys were still, for the most part, hitting well. But even still, it's it's not like they've been lighting it up. Like, they just haven't yeah. had anything to bail themselves out. And the one time when their bats show up, the pitching really doesn't show up. Like, they're dead in the water at this point, as far as I'm concerned. I just don't see any way that they can really rally against the St. Paul team that's, like a, like we just said, going to be clawing for that final spot. And then a really solid Milwaukee team, I just don't see any way we're going to we're gonna see uh, Winnipeg playing here. Which yeah, means- I, I agree. I, I think, uh, and I know I was saying last week, I really missed the mark last week when... I, I put a lot of faith in Winnipeg just because I'm a big believer in baseball that things tend to even out. Uh, things t- things tend to even out eventually, and everyone goes on slumps. Uh, unfortunately, it just got worse and worse and and worse for them, uh, specifically on the pitching end of it. You're right when you say the offense wasn't that bad this week because it wasn't, but um, but outside of outside of that, it was. I mean, you look offense. I mean, Kyle Martin had four home runs. And uh, in tw- in twenty five at bats, Darnell Sweeney three homers in twenty three at bats. I mean, Kevin Lachance hit three eighty one. Uh, uh, newly signed Breland Almadova had a nice week. So I mean, the 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 offense did its job, uh, but it's not like they were doing anywhere near enough to bail out the the atrocious starting pitching that Winnipeg Winnipeg had this week. Yeah, and it's unfortunate too because at this point now, I gotta say they. Because of the collapse here, I think they do take that mantle of the most disappointing team this year. I mean, they, uh, oh yes, they, they should sure. they should have been in the first place spot, and we should be seeing Milwaukee versus Winnipeg. Those are clearly the two best teams. At least they were at the halfway mark, and now it's very clear that Milwaukee is the best team in this league. Then there's Sioux Falls. Then there's a giant block, and then apparently there's Chicago. But when you're looking at disappointing seasons, it got a you have to look at Winnipeg is culprit number one. And uh, yeah, it's really 100%. disappointing. It's really disappointing to see that. But uh, Yeah, 100%. That's, that's the way it goes. So I guess now we'll just kind of do the rest of the wrap-up work for the American Association before we go to uh, whatever we have left here. And that's just, for me, I think the series to watch here is really the two series of Chicago and Sioux Falls. Those seven games have a huge impact on everything else. If Chicago can string together like some week, and I'm, I'm not going to say this is going to happen, and I don't think it's even likely to happen, but it would be very interesting to see if Chicago could go like 5-2 and two versus Sioux Falls and then just really see all, all sorts of chaos break out. Because then everything's on the table. Now that last spot's up for grabs. But really, whatever happens in that series dictates really whatever happens going forward. We know the top team's going to be, it's just a matter of, can Sioux Falls go 4-3, and three, clinch that final spot, or are they going to leave the door open for someone to kind of swipe out their legs and take it? Yep. Yeah, pretty much. It's just a matter of, it's, uh, it's, it's Sioux Falls' spot to lose, and... If they go 500 this week, they, they got it pretty much pretty much locked up. Yep. And then uh, player and pitcher of the week for me, uh, it's it's very tempting to go with uh, a lot of different guys for the pitcher spot. So I'm going to hold off talking about them for just one second here. But for player of the week, uh, this is a little bit of a 
almost an achievement award, but he definitely did earn it for this week, too. Uh, I go with from St. Paul, Mikey Reynolds. He had a very solid week. He batted about 452 on base of 485. He slugged 839. Uh, three home runs, nine runs scored, 14 for 31 as far as the bats go. Six extra base hits and a stolen base. He looked really good this week. He provided a lot of offense for that team. One of the few guys that was doing that. And, uh, you yeah, know, he just looked really good. He looked solid this week. As far as my pitcher of the week goes, there's a lot of guys here. And... It was very close for me because it was either going to be Henderson, Alvarez, or Mike Devine. It was really, really close. Even Hagens and Anderson were in consideration. There was a lot of really good pitchers this week. But at the end of the day, I decided to go with Henderson, Alvarez. Here in the win in that pitcher's duel between him and Mike Devine, he went eight innings, two, two hits, no runs, no earned runs, five strikeouts, no walks, and a batting average against of .077. So, yeah. I mean, he, that's, that's about as dominant as you can get. Like I said, it was close between him and Mike Devine, but at the end of the day, uh, only two hits and only two base runners allowed in eight innings. Uh, that's, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, uh, my, my, my player of the week is, uh, Leo Baldo Pena of, uh, the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks. Kind of highlighted him earlier in the show, but I think, uh, he had an outstanding week, hitting 440 uh, with a, thir- uh, a 1,300 OPS with three home runs, uh, including one grand slam and 10 RBIs. So there, there are definitely a lot of options, but I went. I decided to go with uh, Leobaldo Pena for uh, for the red for this week, playing for the red hot Fargo Moorhead Redhawks. And for pitcher of the week, I'm going to go on the opposite side of that uh, of that pitcher's duel that Nick referenced and go with Mike Devine for probably like the 850th time this year. Mike Devine is my pitcher of the week. Uh, going his eight and a third shutout innings really was just. It was just incredible to watch. I, I just I, I took him over Alvarez just because it was really close, and I was tempted to go with Henderson Alvarez, uh, my for, former Atlantic League pitcher, before he made it back to the bigs. But uh, I decided to go with Devine. Really, the only difference for me was just more strikeouts, uh, and that was pretty much it. But, um, yeah, definitely not a bad pick to go with Alvarez either, but I went with Mike Devine once again. Yep. I mean, either option's really good this week. It'll, I think at the end of the day, it really came down to those two because that was one hell of a pitcher's duel that we yeah, saw. Yeah, it was incredible. Yep. So then we'll just kind of wrap up American Association talk here with we're ending the last week of the regular season. I think we can both agree that it's that more than likely a week from now, the championship matchup we're going to be previewing is Milwaukee versus Sioux Falls. And we're going to be doing the whole postseason wrap-up do do we have anything else really to say on the American Association going into the final week of the regular season? Um, I, d- I do not believe so. Like I said before, um, Sioux, Fo- Sioux Falls is spot to lose. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if they if they take care of business. Yep. So again, it's going to be interesting to see how that Chicago Sioux Falls series works itself out. All right. So with that, we'll go to really the last spot of news we got, which is just some Atlantic League news in general, uh, minor league baseball talk here. Uh, we'll try and keep the minor league baseball talk at least condensed for now. It's going to be something that I'm sure towards the end of the month we're really going to go hard into as that uh, kind of player professional agreement winds up uh, expiring. But 
we'll we'll still cover a little bit today because more information came out about it. But uh, before we get to that, uh, Monday the Atlantic League held their tryout via Prospect Dugout in Florida. Uh, Prospect Dugout ran by Craig Maddox, friend of the show. He's been on before. Really nice guy. Uh, so we had them there, and 16 guys got drafted, and I'll be quite honest, I don't know any of them. I know Gastonia took seven, High Point and Southern Maryland took two apiece, and then everybody else grabbed one. And, uh, yeah, I have it literally written in my notes, said, let Will talk about these no-names. So I'm going to let Will <laughs> talk about these no-names. Okay, well, um, so... Basically, there, there's going. This is not the only prospect dugout showcase uh, that will be uh, th- that will we will see before the Atlantic League season. There's going to be uh, the more traditional prospect dugout uh, league uh, league showcase that we'll see uh, that we'll see closer to the season. You're looking at probably March down in Florida. Uh, that hopefully all of uh, this COVID stuff subsides and we don't have any issues there. Really, the only guy that I, I really wanted to highlight was actually the first pick uh, in, in that draft. I think the other guys, the, the, they have some good numbers at various levels. Uh, however, I mean, you have some Pecos League guys. You have some guys right out, out of D1, uh, some guys out of D2, D3. And I, I think uh, I think they're more like developmental pieces just to see what uh, kind of, some managers to kind of see what they have. I don't know how long a lot of them will be around. Uh, well, we'll have to see about that. Uh, however, the the first pick of the of, of the draft I found to be absolutely fascinating uh, by by the Gastonia professional baseball team with the first pick. Although I think Nick, I think you mentioned it earlier uh, on on either Instagram or Twitter. I, I don't remember, but kind of interesting. I, I I don't know who the who the person was who picked picked the guys for Gastonia in this draft, just because there, at least to my knowledge. There's there's no manager or coaching staff or anything like that yet, so I, I don't know who picked uh, who picked that draft. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so the the um, the guy that was selected uh, by Gastonia that I definitely did want to highlight, his name is Josh Sale. Uh, now Josh Sale in the 2010 Major League Base in the in 2010 MLB draft, he was selected 17th overall out of high school. He went to high school in Washington State. An outfielder, uh, he was selected 17, like I said, 17th overall in the 2010 draft. Uh, so the rate by the Tampa Bay Rays. So he was a highly touted prospect coming up in the in the Rays minor league system. Actually, uh, before the 2011 season, he was actually the number 88 prospect in all of baseball, uh, as ranked by Baseball America. So he he was a, a pretty big time prospect. Although this being Ten, 10 years ago uh his best season definitely in 2012 in single a uh with, with the rays 74 games hit 264 with an 855 ops and 10 home runs uh unfortunately really after that season uh he, he ran into a um a good amount of off the field problems uh d- different different suspensions uh that eventually led to his release from the rays organization in, in uh, I believe in either February or March of 2015, he, he ended up being released from the Rays as a result of a lot of that stuff. Uh, so, however, it's important to note that was like five years ago, and he's now he's now 29 years old now. And, and apparently, from, from everything I 
Shepard in some of the videos I've seen. He looked really, really impressive in this showcase. So he is going to be a fascinating uh, guy for me to watch in the uh, in in the se- uh, in the Atlantic League season. Obviously, still uh, very far away, but he'll he'll definitely be interesting to watch. I mean, there's got to be a re- he definitely has ability and he definitely has potential. Uh, there's a reason he was selected 17th overall. Um, who actually and actually someone selected 23rd overall in that draft. So six spots behind Josh Sale was Christian Yelich. So uh, yeah, so he'll be interesting to watch. I think the rest of them is basically a lot of guys who are just going to get quick looks in spring training. But I think the one guy that I definitely did want to touch on uh, was the first pick of that draft, that being Josh Sale. Okay, so basically uh, we got 15 guys that are probably going to wind up playing at a different level of independent league baseball, and then we got uh, Josh Sale, who will probably make the Gastonia team and be be interesting to watch. And, That's yeah, what I would bet, yeah. yeah. And then uh, just going back to who made these picks, I still don't even know because they do not have a manager. I don't think they have a GM or a team president. All I know in that organization that exists currently is a social media team, and Brandon Bellamy. That's right. all that I know exists. At least they haven't made any sort of an announcement either way. Uh, I, I have no idea who's making these picks. I, I, I have no... Like, that's the thing here. I don't even know who to speculate could be making these picks. Just because I, I would assume an owner who has admittedly said, I only recently have I really started getting into baseball and understanding it. And obviously has a lot of other things to be doing outside of picking a roster for his baseball team. I'd assume he's not doing it, and I'd hope the hell that um that the social media team isn't doing that either. <laughs> uh, Never know. So I don't really know who it is. Maybe they they have their pieces in place, and they just don't want to announce it until they have a name. And then when they have a name and a logo and everything, they're gonna just kind of hit us with one barrage at once. But uh, who knows? Uh, any case, uh, it'll be interesting to see there. And also now the submissions for the name the team contest have closed too. So we should get that information within the next few weeks as to the finalists and whatnot there. But just a little bit other information on Gastonia. If you're interested in finding more out about Brandon Bellamy and the Gastonia team and why he picked Gastonia as a place to put a, a baseball team and just, uh, just the city and the team and everything in general, he did do an interview with the Charlotte Post. That article is linked in our show notes, as well as the accompanying interview he did with the editor-in-chief of the Charlotte Post. That's embedded in that article, so if you just click the link, you'll be able to view all of that. And It, it was fairly interesting. I listened to it a lot, and it, it seemed... Uh, there was a lot of good information in it. I thought it was fairly interesting. It was relative. So Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely interesting to hear. Uh, just, just, I know he, he's received uh, a lot of press for being the, uh, I believe the only majority, uh, the only black majority, uh, majority owner in, in, in professional baseball right That's now, which correct. is pretty, pretty stunning to think about, but, uh, but yeah, so it was definitely interesting to hear him, uh, explain why Gaston, he thought that getting into baseball, buying a baseball team was right for him. He, as you, as you mentioned, didn't really come from a baseball background, of any sort so uh yeah it was definitely interesting interesting listen i definitely recommend it to everyone yep and so with that here i see we're at about 45 minutes and i know uh you have something to do in just a minute so i'm going to keep it fairly quick here and just say we have some more information on uh the mlb milb situation 
I will say the more and more you read about, the more and more it gets annoying. And I'm tempted to just push this till next week because I do want to spend some time railing on this. And I could probably rail on it for a solid half hour, but neither one of us has the half hour to do that at the moment. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to put the decision onto you so that way I can skirt any responsibility here and say, do, do we want to cover this now in like five, 10 minutes or do we just want to push it to next week and have a full I, discussion about it? Let, let, let's cover the. Let, let's just go over the uh, n- the Nightingale, the Bob Nightingale USA Today article where uh, it was it was definitely referenced for the first time of like potential indie ball affiliations. We could just roll with that, I think. All right, yeah. So then we'll just go to and we'll touch on the USA Today article because there's another one from ESPN that uh, a lot more depth and uh, and essentially. And correct me if I'm wrong because I only got a chance to skim the Nightingale article. Essentially, it's saying that Somerset would become affiliated with the Yankees, Sugarland with Houston, and St. Paul with the Twins. That's correct. And uh, that was also in the ESPN article, and in the ESPN one, I saw that MLB would pay the fees for the for the new MILB teams, as it were. But mm-hmm. I keep seeing St. Paul getting thrown around, and they have said again and again that we're not interested in it. And you threw out something when we were talking about this yesterday, that maybe they're just kind of saying that... In public, but behind the scenes, they're a lot more interested in becoming affiliated, which, because I keep hearing this from more and more people and different sources and things, just that are definitely more connected. I mean, they're professional reporters. That's their job. I'm starting to be inclined to believe that. And I just wonder how devastating it would be to the Atlantic League and American Association to lose two really cornerstone teams of affiliated ball, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt. It it would it, it'd be brutal for uh for 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 the Atlantic League and, and the American Association. I think more more so for the for the American Association, uh, lo- losing a team like St. Paul. That's I, I I think you'd have to say that the St. Paul Saints. You can make an argument that the mo- they're the most well known, most successful independent league team in, in America. I think you could I think you could pretty uh pretty easily make that argument. And it, it, it's it's I think you're right because we hear the, the the very strongly worded statements of the past saying we're not interested. Independence is in our blood. We're flattered, but we don't we don't really want anything to do with this. And that to me was enough because in, in statements they're never in, in statements you always kind of have to like look beneath the surface because they're never going to tell you all the details in any statement like ever. But uh, but like you could like the difference between like the Sugarland statement and the Somerset statement uh, were more like oh we're flattered to to be a part of the discussion. This shows like uh, that we have great fans and great staff and basically just leaving it at that. And St. Paul going a different route with their statement. But then again, you just keep hearing the St. Paul's name pop up over and over again, and it's not just saying oh uh, the, they're interested in adding St. Paul. It's like no the the the. the the St. Paul Saints are expected to become Minnesota, Minnesota Twins affiliate next year. And now I, I, I will say Bob Nightingale of USA Today, at least on his MLB reporting, does tend to uh, – he doesn't say anything that is untrue per se, but he kind of hears – sometimes hears one thing and then kind of strongly words it and says, oh, like they're the overwhelming favorite this when everyone – when someone maybe like – I don't know. Yeah, it was – He basically said that – I think a, a good example is the Mets, sale of the Mets, uh, yeah. that he, he reported that uh, the, that the – over that the uh, 
overwhelming favorite for to for the Mets uh, ownership position was A Rod. I think like uh, three three four weeks ago, and obviously we know now that that is, that uh, ended up not being the case, and whether A Rod's group leaked it to the media, whatever. And so yeah. he probably so he has a tendency to hear little bit of rumblings and say like, oh, they're the overwhelming favorite or, oh, they are expected to do this. So I'm going to, and so originally when I read it, I'm kind of like, wow, that could be something. And then, okay, but I'll wait. It's Bob Nightingale. So, uh, but in the ESPN article that, um, that goes into a little bit more depth about a lot more depth, actually about the minor league contraction, uh, it said, quote, the, the original plan for getting 160 teams down uh, to 120 calls for adding two currently unaffiliated clubs, the St. Paul Saints in Minnesota and the Sugarland Skeeters in Texas. But the what was 20, 42 teams last year might become 43 as a third unaffiliated team. The Somerset Patriots in New Jersey is being considered a potential New York Yankees affiliate. Now, uh, I think we're, we're pretty sure that if Somerset were to come in, it would probably Trenton go, be Trenton going out. However, it, it, it's interesting because now you've heard it from two sources, and it, it's definitely something I'm going to be doing more digging around this week, and we'll probably hopefully have more information about it. But it, it's it could be it could be devastating for for the Atlantic League and the American Association to lose cornerstone franchises. I think that that that's for certain. Absolutely. I mean, these are teams that, and even losing Sugarland on top of that too. I'm not sure if I right. would call them a cornerstone franchise, but they certainly do do their own fair share of heavy lifting in the Atlantic League. And these are these are three teams that all have really developed a, a pedigree. And there's a certain standard that you know, okay, I'm going to Sugarland, I'm going to Somerset, I'm going to St. Paul. There's a standard that's already in your mind, and just to see them leave is just so. It's it's almost hard to comprehend, and I just, like, I don't really know how to put it to words, what it would do to independent league baseball to lose all of them, because that puts these leagues really, really in a bad position here. I mean, if you just want to look towards the future, and you know, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up fairly soon, because again, I know uh, we're short on time, but I, to, for the Atlantic League, then in 2021, you would have to replace two teams now. Or, which really only replaced one off the bat, which is New Britain you were replacing. So now you got to replace an additional two. So that probably means you're running a Road Warrior team again. And mm. on top of that, over in the American Association, you don't have a replacement for St. Paul. And no matter who you put in that spot, you're not replacing them. It's impossible yeah. to replace them. I mean, you could... It's not even like one of those things you could kind of replicate by getting a couple of extra teams to kind of level it out because that's just not how this works. I mean, the only, the best way of putting it is it's like saying you got rid of Mike Trout and, oh, we'll try to replace him. Well, there's no replacing Mike Trout. You could get right. five guys that do the same thing Mike Trout does when you put all their numbers together, but it's still not Mike Trout. Right. There's just and, no replacing these teams. What, what I would bring you back to, Nick, is if you remember when the Atlantic League put out a statement that said that they are, they're looking for one to three more teams to add to the league, I think that when, when they make such an unprecedented announcement that they're looking into uh, adding one to three more teams, I think that's them saying in a way that they, that they're prepared, that they're preparing to lose Sugarland and Somerset. So I think, and not to mention they were saying that, 
they would probably add teams that are subjected to uh, minor league contraction, maybe a team like Binghamton or, or, or something like that. And so I, I think that it, I think the Atlantic League has to had probably is preparing for this when they made that announcement. I don't think that they obviously they would like to expand to 10 teams, I think, but I think they wanted to really be ready to add those teams in case that this move, I think we, we were both, we're both pretty certain that Sugarland is gone. And it now it's now really sounding like Somerset, uh, could it's going to follow be, suit. Uh, yeah. yeah it's going to follow suit as well. So I think they're definitely, I think, I think the Atlantic league can do eight teams next year, just adding teams in, uh, on, um, in markets that, uh, that have lost their affiliation. I think they can swing that, but to say, like you said, there's no replacing a team like Somerset, teams like Somerset and Sugarland. Even if you bring in um, a team like Binghamton, you're not going to get the same attendance. You're not going to have the same Atlantic League t- type of history type of thing uh, w- with a team like Binghamton. And although it does replace the team, it doesn't replace like uh, it so doesn't many replace other things the prestige. About it doesn't replace right. the prestige, and it does doesn't fill the gap. And I think you're you're really starting to get on to something. And this is going to be something I'm going to be very interested in talking. Uh, we're going to be interested in talking about next week because there's an awful lot to unpack here. But uh, with yeah. that said, I think uh, just because of the time constraint, uh, we're going to kind of curtail the conversation here and we're going to pick it up next week once we finish our whole uh, American Association deal next week. And we're going to talk further about this. And this is probably going to be an ongoing thing throughout the whole off season that we're going to be talking about. And, and uh, yes, yeah, this the situation. It just the more the deeper you get into it, the more interesting and unfortunately, the more depressing it gets. So uh, yeah. So with that, I guess uh, I'm gonna go with the most ham-fisted uh, transition possible and just dive into plugs. But uh, if you want to find the show, you could do so on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. If you want to find us on Instagram, you could do so at Indie Ball Report and at ALPB underscore News on Instagram. Uh, you can find everything we produce on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, that includes show notes. It includes the episodes, videos, articles, everything. Yeah, you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. Uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Google Play Store, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find them. So, yeah, uh, with that said, uh, what else do we have left to add? Uh, I don't think anything else left to add. Definitely excited to watch the American Association uh, start to finish up this week. Yep, excited for that here. Although we may be ending on the, the dour note of the future of independent league baseball, the present still is exciting. So be interesting yes, to is. see how the season finishes out. And so with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, don't forget to play ball. Play ball.